Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the Spotify Green Room app and find one of our Locked On rooms. My guest is Rafael Barlow from DraftJunkies.com and the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. Rafael's been on the show several times. He's been awesome. We're actually going to co-host uh, some live draft coverage uh, on draft night together. And so, you know, this is going to be a warm up uh, for that, Rafael. But it's been great to work with you all draft season. And I'm, I'm excited to be doing live coverage with you on the NBA draft. Yeah, same here. It's, it's always an honor. And, you know, you're, you're known as the GOAT of big boards and mock drafts. So it's, it's always a pleasure to be able to pick your brain and, and just uh, and, and work with you. Does something that we both love. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, uh, it's going to be fun. This is a fun draft. And, uh, you know, I, I love that you dive so deeply into making these videos and scouting. I know you work out guys as well. And so, you know, I feel like it's a it's a good balance between, you know, a lot of mine getting on phone calls, talking to general managers and stuff with your, you know, deep breakdown of these prospects. And if you go over to Raphael's site at draftjunkies.com, you can see all the cool videos that he's making, breaking down players and doing scouting reports right now. And you can also head over to my website at nbabigboard.com where we've got new mock drafts, we've got big boards, we've got scouting reports, and has some really cool stuff, including draft tier stuff coming this week, uh, and, and, and some draft trades uh, that's coming up as well. And so there's some really great stuff uh, over at the website right now. What I thought we'd do today is we're going to preview our, our hot takes, uh, our most controversial takes about this draft right now. So look, there's a lot of you know, one of the things that I do and don't like about the draft is there just starts to be this consensus that just starts to build and form. And it's it's just sort of like if the draft doesn't go according to that consensus, you're an idiot. Uh, and But I, I think we sort of believe individually that sometimes the consensus doesn't align with what we personally think. And and sometimes the it, when we say consensus, it doesn't mean everybody. It means from General manager to general manager, from scout to scout, they, they see things differently. And so today what we're going to try to do is is deviate from the norm a little bit. And uh, we're going to give each other some hot takes and then we'll react to, to some of those hot takes about things that sort of defy conventional wisdom right now of the draft. And I'm, I'm going to tee up Raphael first and 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 let let him kick, the, kick this off. Um, shock me a little bit with one of your hot takes about this draft. Oh, man, the pressure's on me first. <laughs> okay. Well, my, my first take is not going to be as hot as Dion's. Dion's was scorching hot about the, the Cade Cunningham and, uh, and Jalen Green. That was my, my, my temperature would be a little bit less than that. But I would say one of my hot takes is I do not believe Zaire Williams should be a first round pick. I think he will okay. be selected in the first round but I do not believe he should be a first round pick. Okay. That's really interesting. Uh, and, and definitely I think bucks against the consensus. Certainly he really struggled at Stanford and, and I'm sure you're going to go there uh, in a minute, right? Cause you, you had to break down that Stanford tape and it's, it's really, really tough to watch, but we're also talking about a guy that was a consensus top five, top six, you know, high school prospect who looked like a completely different player in high school. And so I think the consensus comes back and says, 
you look at Stanford, you look at the weird situation that he was in there, you know, COVID protocols, Stanford had to play on the road the whole time. He had a death in the family. It was a weird fit for him on the team. And all of them want to say, we're going to bet on his upside as opposed to what he did at Stanford. Let's hear the argument. I know you went in depth with Zaire Williams and you can go over to draftjunkies.com and check out uh, that breakdown. Uh, what what concerns you about Zaire Williams? Well, what so other than upside, I'll get to the upside first. I mean, I, I can see what teams would fall in love with. I mean, I think you were the first to report that he's around 6'10", close to 6'10 now. He definitely has some upside as a shot creator. But when I look at the film, I see a guy that was really skinny, struggled to get to the rim, which made him settle for a lot of contested jump shots. He was not efficient shooting the ball from the floor. I mean, if you look at just the raw numbers, 37% from the field, 29% from three, the free throw percentage is close to 80, which is, which is promising. The rebounding was, was pretty good. And then he did show some flashes of being a playmaker, but he also averaged almost three turnovers per game. So when I, I look at his film, I can see the upside, but I also ask myself, if we did not know who he was coming into the season, would he still be considered a first-round pick? It's an interesting take. It, it Every year we have one or two of these prospects who just – what we, Last year. Yeah, yeah, what we see in high school and what we see in college – really deviate. And sometimes the college is the more telling thing. You've kind of got to go with what's most current. And sometimes it's a bad situation, some weird thing, and and the young player bounces right back when they get to the NBA. And so it will be really interesting on Zaire. I, I will tell you, Joe Abunazar, who has been you know a, a longtime workout guru who's known him since high school and has been working um, with him in Vegas, just absolutely swears by Zaire Williams right now. I, I get multiple sort of uh, pushes back on this that this guy should be back in the lottery i think where i have him right now at 16 to oklahoma city or 18 or if the houston rockets are at 23 and 24 i think those are appropriate places to to swing on on zaire and bet a little bit just given what else is in the draft but that that's interesting that you have him completely out of the first round yeah i mean i think he gets selected in the first round i think okc and maybe Memphis in that range. I don't see him sliding past Houston because they are in position to where they can just swing on on upside. So yeah, I don't think he, you know, gets by Houston, but just off of watching film and all the players that I evaluated, it's hard for me to say based off of film alone that he deserves to be a first round pick ahead of someone like Bones Highland. Okay. So Bones Highland over Zaire Williams is is part part of the headline there. All right, I'm I'm going to just swing for my biggest swing right at right at the top of this podcast, uh, and and that's this. I think the Detroit Pistons should trade the number one pick in the draft to either Cleveland or Houston, and uh, and and I know there's going to be Piston f- fans screaming uh, screaming at me not right now. What are you thinking? And and so I, I want to just walk through my rationale and then. Uh, you know, I'll get you to respond because I, I know you're, I, I know you're a Cade guy, and 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 I, and I am as well. But but here's sort of my argument. the The first argument is, look, I personally don't think the gap between Cade and Evan Mobley, and even to a certain extent, Jalen Green, is as big as everybody's made it out to be. 
uh, in this draft. Uh, to me, they're all tier one type da- draft prospects. And, and so this, this isn't a case where there's a huge step down between Evan Mobley and, and Jalen Green. I, I start to feel less comfortable if, they're draft, if, they, if they were to move out of the top three. But if they're moving down a, one spot or two, uh, I, I don't think that there's a big talent drop off. The second, second reason is I think they could get a valuable asset. Uh, Houston has been trying to acquire another lottery pick. There's been talk about them talking to Indiana about getting the 13th pick in the draft. If they can get another lottery pick out of it uh, to move down one spot in the draft and, and be able to select Evan Mobley or, or Jalen Green, I, I, I think that's a big win for a rebuilding team like Detroit. Uh, and, and, and I'd say the same with Cleveland. If it's three and then it's Isaac Okoro, uh, you know, for example, uh, I doubt I doubt Cleveland would package three in Garland. Uh, if they were, then I would absolutely sort of consider that for for Detroit as well. I, I think that's enough value and enough asset to move down one spot. It reminds me of the 2017 NBA draft where Danny Ainge was sitting at the top and everybody had Markel Fultz number one, me included, unfortunately, uh, you know, had him number one on our boards. And as he evaluated the situation, he's like, I, I mean, he told me, you know, on draft night, I just didn't see that big a difference between, you know, Fultz and, 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 uh, and uh, Jason Tatum. And, and so if I can pick up another big asset in the process and still get Tatum, you know, I, I was good with it. And, and it, and, and I, and I see, and I see that here. Third thing that I'll just argue, uh, I, I think Cade's going to be good. I, I'm not a Cade hater. I know that people have been listening to my podcast and there's been doubts about Cade and whatever. That's more about trying to set level set expectations about Cade Cunningham is not the best prospect since LeBron James to come out of the NBA draft. And if you're thinking that you're getting a LeBron-esque or Anthony Davis-type player out of Cade Cunningham, I think you're going to be disappointed. I, I don't think the numbers support that. I don't think the scouting supports that. Um, and it's par- in part because he lacks that elite-level athleticism that I think you know, hurdles you into the top tier of, of NBA prospects. And, and so as you look at Detroit and how they built uh, this, this team with Killian Hayes and, and Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart uh, as their sort of core, I like all those players. I'm a little bit still questionable about Killian Hayes, but I liked him before the draft, so I'm going to give him more than a year. They don't have any athleticism on that team. Uh, the one thing I say about all three of those guys that they're building around is none of those guys are even above average uh, you know, athletes. And to add Cade Cunningham, who is again a sort of average athlete in my mind, now now you've now you've quadrupled down on your four building blocks on your team, none of whom are great athletes. Where Evan Mobley, I think, is one of the more freakishly fluid athletes I've ever seen for a seven footer. He's not like a jump out of the gym athlete, but the fluidity with which he moves is incredible. And then of course, Jalen Green, as we know, is a 99 percentile athlete, even in the NBA. And, and both of those players to me make more sense on the rosters. It's constructed by Detroit right now uh, than Cade Cunningham. And I do think Cade Cunningham is frankly a better fit in Houston or uh, who will probably play him a lot like they play James Harden. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're ready to sort of do that or in Cleveland. And so that's my take. Go ahead and respond, uh, Raphael, because I know you've got you got Cade Cunningham. You're a big, big Cade Cunningham guy. Yeah, but you know what? If On the surface, a lot of people, are, like you said, are going to think, oh, you're crazy. It doesn't make sense. But it makes a lot of sense because the gap between Cade and Jalen Green, who's projected to go third on a lot of boards, to me is not that big. And I've heard 
I don't know if he said it directly, but I've heard from someone close to Kay that Jalen has said that if he would have went to college, he would have been the number one pick. It's just the exposure in college was bigger than the G League. So, yeah, I mean, if you're Cleveland, I think Cade makes more sense in Cleveland than he does in Detroit also. And he would add some size and another playmaker to the team that lacks playmaking. And <laughs> that's one of the things that, you know, Cleveland has a small backcourt. And so I, I think it does make sense. I think it does. It will remind a lot of people of 2017. And if you're Cleveland and you, you know, like you brought all three guys in for workouts, which you know isn't going to happen. I think that they would have a hard time deciding who's number one. I don't think you would get everybody on the same page as who would be the number one guy. So your take is, is hot on the surface, but a person that's logical and actually thinks about it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And again, I just want to assure my listeners, I do not hate Cade Cunningham. I do not think Cade Cunningham is a bust. In fact, I think Cade Cunningham has the highest floor of any of the prospects. Like, you know, I saw John Hollinger make a comparison to Chris Middleton, uh, you know, yes, uh, yesterday. And look, if he's Chris Middleton, he's an all-star, he's an all-star. And that's kind of like, to me, his floor, like that's kind of where Cade's, you know, floor sort of sits. Now, is he LeBron? Absolutely not. And that's, that's where I'm trying to sort of level set expectations a little bit about, I, I just also don't think that Cade has as high a ceiling as Evan Mobley and Jalen Green, though both of those players to me have scarier floors because Jalen's still pretty one-dimensional. And with Mobley, you know, the strength is an issue. And and I do worry a little bit whether he has the same drive that Kate Cunningham and Jalen Green have just as, as as a player, you know, the, the sort of passion with which you play the game. Those, those are legit question marks that you can ask about them too. Uh, but if Cade Cunningham goes number one, I'm I'm cool with it. I I'm I'm totally cool with it with Detroit or any of those 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 folks there. I'm just making the argument that the gap isn't as big as we think it is, as the hype is, and we got to quit thinking about Cade Cunningham as the next LeBron James because I I think that is unfair to him and the expectations that you would put on a player that doesn't have that level of athleticism uh, that LeBron James brought you know, to the, to the NBA, to, to be that, that type of player um, at the next level. That, that's it. Now, couldn't the same case have been made about Luca just a few years ago? You know, a lot of people were saying, well, I don't think he's on that level because of his lack of athleticism. And I feel like because Luca was so praised so early as we got closer to draft time or not even draft time, maybe like in March, they started picking him apart, picking him apart. And do you think Cade and Luca have a similar type of athleticism where they're not going to beat you with like a Jalen Green type first step, but it is the craftiness and, and the size that once they get a step on you, it's, it's tough to like stay in front. Totally fair. Doncic is a bit of an outlier in that he is not an elite athlete, but he ends up being able to do whatever he wants on the court um, anyway. But would you agree that the way Doncic sees and feels the game is on a different level than Kate Cunningham. And, and, and to me, that's the difference. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense because Luca's passing unlocks his scoring. Or you can look at it the other way around. His scoring unlocks his passing. So that, that's fair. So it's like, you know, on one hand, it's, 
it's almost like you can't compare anyone to LeBron because LeBron is an outlier. And Luca's an outlier. And Cade has been compared to, I've seen LeBron, I've seen Luca, I've seen Grant Hill. And the Jason Tatum comparison, at first glance, it seems a little weird because they play different positions. But maybe as far as like, nobody really considered Tatum like this elite level athlete with this great first step. But he's a, he's a scorer, crafty scorer. So yeah, and I, and I think that's the legitimate question about Cade, which we don't know the answer to. Is is he going to ultimately be a primary ball handler and a passer? And because in high school, I think that was how we were thinking about him. Watching him at Oklahoma State, I would say he played more like a Jason Tatum, more as a sort of scorer and a crafty scorer than than he really was as a facilitator. Now you can blame his teammates for that. Uh, you can you you can make a lot of reasons behind that, but I have a hard time believing Luka Doncic. At Oklahoma State, given what he was doing in the Euro League uh, at the time, is going to have an underwater assist to turnover ratio uh, at at Oklahoma State. I I think if we put Luka Doncic in college basketball, where he would have actually taken a step down from the level of competition he was playing at in Europe, uh, we would have seen one of the greatest seasons uh, of all time. I don't think anybody would have known what to do with Luka Doncic. That's that's very very true. So. I agree 100% there. Okay. All right. So, all right. We're, we're done with our first hot take. When we come back, we're going uh, to do more. I'm with Raphael Barlow of DraftJunkies.com. I'm Chad Ford. You're listening, to, you're listening to the Locked On NBA Network. This is Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor? When you talk on Built, when you talk, when you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their faves. You don't know the Built Bar flavors? Well, you're missing out. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. So there's someone for everyone. I'm a big coconut fan. Raphael, what about you? Who's what's your favorite Built Bar flavor? Birthday cake. Too bad. Birthday cake. Off. Yeah, the white chocolate birthday cake. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box where you get two of each of the nine flavors. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And we are back talking our hot takes, our most controversial takes for the 2021 NBA Draft. I'm with Draft Junkies, Raphael Barlow, also host of the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. I'm Chad Ford. And you can go over to my website at nbabigboard.com where you're going to see trade ideas. Mock Draft 3.0 is out right now. Uh, Lots of great stuff coming. My tears column's coming uh, soon. Love having Raphael on. Uh, Love his take. So we've we've already done two. Zaire Williams shouldn't be... A first rounder. That was uh, that. That was uh, Raphael's. Uh, mine was that the Pistons should trade the pick if they get a good offer from either the Houston Rockets or Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't think they should trade out of the top three, though. Now it's time for your second hot take. What do you got for me, Raphael? All right. I think the and it, it kind of hurts me to say this because I am a Portland Trailblazers fan, 
but I think the Blazers should entertain the Warriors as far as trading their two lottery picks and maybe throw in Wiseman for Dame Lillard. It would kind of do right by Dame, allow him to go home. I know him and Steph kind of play the same position, but they could play together. He would be the, I guess, the Durant replacement as far as adding a third star. For Portland, you get Wiseman. You can move Nurkic later on. Then you can get the two lottery picks and kind of start your your rebuild. That's if Dame says that he wants out, which publicly he hasn't said anything, but I've seen his comments about the fans going crazy on him because he recommended Chauncey Billups in that whole situation. If there is an opportunity, then I think they should definitely be open to it. And I think Golden State, I mean, I, I think what their window is closing. And so unless they want to select guys that they feel like are ready to contribute now, which would be maybe like a Davion Mitchell or a Corey Kispert, then if that's the direction they're going to go and fine. If not, if they don't want to, if, if, if they're looking to win now, then I think they should trade it. And that makes sense for Portland, in my opinion, if Dane wants out. All right, that's that's really interesting uh, because I had a, a similar trade scenario, but I, I I didn't actually think about Lillard going to to Golden State, uh, where obviously he's from Oakland. Uh, you could see the homecoming there. I, I, I'm sure he he would love that. Uh, I had a I had a uh, in the draft trades that I'd like to see column. I had a deal where Ben Simmons went to Golden State, Wiseman seven and fourteen go to Portland. Uh, along with Maxi and Lillard ends up in Philadelphia, uh, you know, playing with uh, Joel Embiid. And, you know, part of that was me thinking about Ben Simmons maybe being a a better fit in Golden State, uh, where you're going to have to have a three-headed guard of Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, and, you know, you know moving, I guess, Clay Thompson to the three, but then you're shifting Wiggins to the four. And, and, and where I could see Ben Simmons being a small ball five, uh, at at Golden State and kind of completely sort of remaking uh, re- remaking his game there and I would love absolutely love to see Embiid and Dame Dame Lillard on the same team uh, in in Philadelphia I, I think that would remake that that sort of whole roster but it's interesting that both of you are so- sort of thinking about what role Lillard plays uh, in this draft so let me ask you this question then because this was the thing that I was stuck on but we both end up having sort of the same package going to Portland uh, right Wiseman. And you know maybe pick seven and fourteen. I had I had Maxi in the deal as well to try to sweeten it. Is that enough for Damian Lillard? I mean, th- this has been the face of this franchise in, in Portland, and and now you're going to go on a rebuild with you know Wiseman, which you know had a rocky rocky rookie year uh, at, at Golden State. We're out of the elite part of the draft. That you know, seven and fourteen. We're in a sort of a different tier in the draft right now. Maxi was pretty good uh, at you know at in in Philadelphia as a as a rookie, but again, is not not a star. Do you feel like that's that's a good enough package for Damian Lillard in Portland? I don't know if you would ever get a fair package. I mean, you can go back looking at, I mean, the Anthony Davis to the Pelicans deal they they're not going to get fair value there even with zion um i mean maybe even carmelo to to new york i think they depleted all their assets in new york and they were probably even for like the first few years 
as far as record wise. Uh, yeah, I just don't think you're going to get fair value. But I wanted to talk about Ben Simmons and Golden State. I think either that is going to work perfectly or it's going to be a disaster. I don't think there's an in-between simply because Draymond will hold him accountable. <laughs> so I think he, that's great for him. I think that's what he needs. It. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so too if he accepts it. But I think Draymond can be because because they're like total opposites in my opinion. Draymond is a guy who has totally maxed out every single ounce of his talent. Is he going to have patience for a guy like Ben Simmons, who we can all agree that he has just been getting by on his natural gifts? So Draymond will either break him or make him into a, a different player. So that would be a very interesting combination there. I think it's a risk for Golden State for sure. But the one thing that I like about it for Golden State is, you know, Dame Lillard's 31 years old. So, you know, you know you're you're tripling down at that point at Golden State if uh, if Lillard's going to be your guy that if if our if we don't hit in our window the next couple of years and with injuries and so much stuff that we see happening in the NBA, you know, look at you can have the best laid plans and it can, it can fall apart. Whereas Simmons is younger and is is it can be part of a rebuild in Golden State eventually when Steph uh, is out. And and the one thing I will say that leans me towards this is probably a pretty decent haul for Portland is Lillard's age. At, at you know he just turned thirty one, and you know at at most points we're seeing for guards this is about the moment around thirty one thirty two where you're they're gonna quit playing at the peak level that they're playing at and they're going to start to descend. And so, you know, giving up a number one pick or, you know, giving up, you know, a, a young superstar for Damian Lillard, I'm not sure a team will do that just because of his age. If he was 28, 29, probably, but it, at, at 31, I think it's a question mark uh, as well. So really intriguing stuff. Which one do you prefer then? Do you prefer that? Do you prefer Lillard on the Warriors or do you prefer uh, Ben Simmons on the Warriors and Lillard in, in Philadelphia? I mean, maybe it's the biased Blazer fan in me. I feel that Dame has given Neil O'Shea job security. He hit a home run with that pick. It's allowed Neil to keep his job. Neil can do him a, a, a solid by allowing him to go home. Blazers fans can watch Lillard play in Portland an extra game a year. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's why I would vote there because I think – at this point, in their short window, I think Simmons is more risky than, than Dame Lillard. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I'll, I'll make one argument for Lillard and Philly for Lillard, because uh, I see the home thing is I think the path to the finals exactly. with Damian Lillard and Joel Embiid is is much clearer. Now, you may have a healthy Nets team that's going to have something you know to say about that, and, and, and certainly the Bucks are are you know performing at a very high level right now in the NBA finals so it's not like it's a cakewalk there but but the west is just brutal you think so i don't know if it's as brutal now i mean well maybe with Kawhi, Kawhi you know out. Yeah. Kawhi out um you know Chris maybe Paul might hit that cliff he's closer to the cliff than than Damian is <laughs> Chris Paul may have hit the cliff in the That's finals right. uh yeah he may, he may have uh that's that's crazy all right, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on the Warriors for a minute, and I'm gonna assume for a second that they keep the picks, and and I'm gonna and I'm gonna go against conventional wisdom and say that they should not take Davian Mitchell 
at seven and Corey Kispert at 14. I mean, I think those are the most mocked guys to them. And and the conventional wisdom is go get guys that can come in and help you right now. Uh, Davian Mitchell can defend. Corey Kispert can stretch the floor. Um, the, the Warriors are in win now mode and what have you. The, the track, and look, I've been a Davian Mitchell guy for a really long time, but the track record of 22-year-old and older prospects really making their mark in the NBA is, is slim, uh, right? Like it, it, it's, it's, it's almost a, a proven theorem that at, but if you, by the time of 22, if you're still in the lottery, there's, there's a problem and that you're much better off. You're much safer taking an 18 year old or 19 year old. And, and then the second, I, I, huh? I think the Blazers have two of the more successful ones in Lillard and McCollum. They, they, they do. It's not, it's again, it's not that there aren't outliers because there, there are outliers. Uh, but but the the odds are in your favor that you're taking the wrong guy at seven if they're 22 years old. Uh, the second thing is rookies are almost always bad, period, Re- regardless of whether they're 18 or 22. Obi Toppin, everybody was like, oh, Obi Toppin, you know, because he's older, he's going to be the guy that's going to come in and play rookie of the year right away. And, and there's a lot of circumstances around that, but he ended up on a, an actually a fairly decent Knicks team. This is going to actually sort of prove my point. Even if you think that he would have won rookie of the year if he'd been on Detroit, he was on a, on a, on a good Knicks team with a coach that, that didn't want to give a rookie, uh, you know, a lot, uh, a lot of leeway to play. I don't think Steve Kerr is going to be giving major minutes to Davian Mitchell and, and Corey Kispert next year. And so you've, you, you have sort of a, to, a double waste in my mind. You, you drafted guys to come in and and help you now. But the the chance that they're going to actually be productive NBA players their rookie year, despite their age, is low. Uh, and that that's just sort of typically the case. I mean, if you look at PER or you look at win shares or you just you look at any sort of the advanced stats or rookies, even rookies that have good seasons, they, they weren't particularly helpful uh, to their team when they were on the court. They're adjusted plus, minus, what have you. And so I think the Warriors, if they're going to keep the picks – should do exactly what they did with James Wiseman and and look to the future and say, look, we're not going to count on these, these, these young players to help us right now, but we are building a foundation of players that will allow us to not have to sink into the depths of the draft and into a major rebuild, especially given the new draft lottery odds, which make it harder than ever to necessarily swing and sort of hit those picks. And so, you know, taking a Keon Johnson or a Josh Giddy. Uh, or you know one of these young younger prospects that could pan out down the road. To me, that makes more sense for Golden State than going the the Mitchell Corey Kispert route. What say you? So I think Mitchell and Kispert have two skill sets that I think will allow them to be specialists as a rookie. So I think Kispert, you expect him to be able to come in and knock down open shots, and I think with Mitchell. His defense alone will allow Kerr to play him some minutes. I think he can be a positive there. I also wonder if Kerr would kind of keep Steph and Clay under 31, 30, 29 minutes around that mark, which will allow Mitchell and Kispert to get a little bit more time. So I think that's why, at least for me personally, would lean towards those two guys because I think that they have specific skill sets that can come in and help right away. If Mitchell ends up being like a Pat Beverly, like pesky defender in the playoffs. Then I think there's a role for him there. Okay. 
Uh, so if we were in the front office, we'd do different things. But that's the that's the great debate about this right now. Like I said, I, I'm not hating on Davian Mitchell, uh, who's a guy that I've liked all year. Uh, I just I do wonder the more that I watch his game, whether there's just some of these young players that have such significantly high ceilings that the bet is right. I'm I. You know, maybe Davian Mitchell at 14 or 13, the bet feels really, really good for me. Uh, But at seven, uh, as much as I like him, I start to get a little bit uncomfortable with it. All right. When we come back, one more hot take uh, from each of us. Uh, You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts stores to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouses happen to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more from the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? They have everything you can need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And we are back. I'm with Raphael Barlow of DraftJunkies.com. He's also the host of the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. We're going to be doing some live stuff together on draft night. I can't wait to do it. It's going to be televised. We'll we'll give you all the details as we get closer. I've loved having Raphael on our uh, podcast uh, for uh, really all draft year. He's got great takes. Make sure you go over and check out his website where he's doing cool video breakdowns of of all the prospects right now. And make sure you also have, head over to nbabigboard.com where you can see Mock Draft 3.0. We've got my trade ideas for the draft up right now. Draft tiers columns coming later. Got scouting reports for over 60 prospects right now over at nbabigboard.com. We're getting close to the draft. We're doing our hot takes right now. The non-conventional takes that we have on the draft. We've talked about Zaire Williams. We've talked about the Pistons trading the pick. We just had a long conversation about the Golden State Warriors and what they should be doing with their draft pick. Should they trade them? What should they do if they sort of keep them right now? And so now let's go to hot take three from Raphael. All right. So this is a hot take that I've been pretty much adamant on for a while. Here it comes. I know. I I already have a feeling. I know what this is. <laughs> so, your tweet maybe about a week ago made me feel like okay, I'm trending in the right direction, and it, it's kind of like a, a double hot take. But I feel like Renz Blindberg from Belgium and Ibu Baji from Senegal via Barcelona or Barcelona via Senegal should be considered as first round prospects. So when I when I saw that you have them in the high 30s now, I feel like okay, this is giving me confirmation that. What I have been seeing is at least the people that you have spoken with are starting to agree and it's trending in the right direction. 
it is trending in the right direction. Not everybody sees it. I, I have some people that see Blindberg and say he's too soft and the level of competition in, you know, in Belgium is it isn't strong enough. He should be dominating a league like that. Uh, you know, Baji, I think, is much more everybody sees the same thing, this incredible athlete, but you know, where's this this the skill set isn't there yet. Um, but you, you you focus really heavily on the international prospects. I think it's one of your specialties. And so give us the argument for uh, Blindberg and then Baji about why you think they should be number one picks. Well, one, if you watch Vrenz, you, you don't see too many guys that are 6'10", which he measured out at 6'11". And I've, I've been talking to him throughout this process. And you had him on your pod, actually, right? So yeah, you could, on, on the Locked On NBA Draft pod, if you haven't listened, you want to hear Vrenz Blyberg uh, and Raphael have a great discussion. I listened to it. It was great. Thanks. Yeah. So I built a relationship with him because I was like the first to like do this breakdown back in December. You don't see too many guys at 6'11 that move the way he moves and with the upside as a passer. I think he's a pretty decent shooter. And I, I see peak Chandler Parsons type potential. And I'm talking about not the Chandler Parsons that got paid 94 million in Memphis that the Grizzlies fans absolutely <laughs> are upset about. But I mean, like the first year in Dallas, the last year in Houston. And I feel like even with Parsons, the game was starting to trend favorable for his game right as he started to decline. And I think Renz could be this four man that can be a secondary ball handler, a playmaker, guy that can knock down open shots. He needs to get stronger. He's still young. Yes, I understand the concerns about the Belgian league, but I thought he had some pretty good games in the Euro Cup. And the one of the matchups that that made me kind of disagree with him being the soft or whatever was the how intensely he played against Milos Teodosic. You know, Milos is a legend over in Europe, and a lot of kids would be, you know, kind of intimidated when you're you're going up against a guy like that. And so even though Milos is not a guy that's going to beat you with scoring, but he's still like the the head of, you know, a team that won the, the Italian league. So that's why I think Vrenz is can be special because like I said, he's 6'10. And he has upside as a playmaker. As far as Baji, I mean, the guy is a, a freak, freak athlete. I wonder what Jericho Sims, if if they if Baji measured out, which I haven't seen the measurements, and it could be out there, would he test better than Jericho Sims' 44-inch vertical? I think Baji is a much, much better defender. I mean, Sims is a, a better role man, but I think Sims may end up getting drafted now. But I believe Baji has a much higher upside than Jericho Sims, who a guy that really hasn't showed as much improvement over four years at Texas. Let's let's talk about another just reality that may ultimately prove you right here is that you have a number of teams with multiple picks. Now, whether they crack the first round or not, I'm not sure. But I, I had both Blindberg and Baji in my top 40. So I had them both going in the 30s in my latest mock draft. And in part because you have a the the second draft gets weird. Uh, in, in part because these picks have been traded so much. I think like the last fifteen picks of the draft have all been traded already. Like they've already at least been traded once. They're not with the original team um, right now, and they're going to get traded again. You've got Oklahoma uh, City Thunder. You've got uh, a number of teams that have multiple multiple picks. They can't have all these guys in the roster. So having a passport is is a big deal. And the ability to be able to draft and stash those players, let them develop somewhere else, and then bring them over when you're ready um, makes you more valuable and makes makes you often rise above college players who are sometimes more reluctant 
uh, to, to be stashed overseas or reluctant to go into the G League or what have you. I think this is an underrated part of what happens on draft night and why I, I frankly hate mocking the second round is because teams are on the phone with these agents saying, hey, we'll draft your guy, but only if you are willing to sort of sign this deal or only if you're willing to stay on a two-way contract or only if you're willing to sort of go overseas. And and then if the agent says no, they pick up the phone and call the next guy. And if the agent says no to that, they pick up the phone and call the next guy. And it's not the same sort of talent ranking uh, on a board. It's much more about how do we sort of maximize this asset. It's interesting with both of those guys, you really have been on the cutting edge of this. Uh, and, it, you know, when I talked to a lot of, you know, when we were on our first podcast together, you you mentioned Blindberg and, you know, I talked to some NBA teams, uh, you know, about him and it wasn't that they didn't know who he was, but I think everybody was a little bit like, really? Uh, you know, as, as a first round pick, I don't think that they were seeing it yet, but I think that you know, through some of your advocacy, uh, in part, it t- makes people take a second, third look at this. And, and you know, this is this is the role that I I, I personally actually believe uh, for the sort of independent draft analysis that is out there. Uh, we don't make picks for teams. No team makes a pick because Raphael Barlow or Chad Ford says uh, that they should. But a lot of times it does raise the platform or put someone on a radar that a team's going to go back and take a second or third look um, at, at again. And, and then in some cases, uh, you know, it, it works out. So I, I, I'm not, again, I'm not sure where they're, where they're going to land, uh, but I definitely think um, that uh, that whether they're uh, late first rounders or early second rounders, I think they're two of the most unique prospects in the draft. I absolutely think they're draft worthy and I would have no problem with them being drafted in the late first round either. I, I, I see picks 20 through 40 is very fluid in this draft anyway. And so why not take the two freaky size, you know, skill or athletic ability guys there. I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah. Especially if you go 20 through 40, you have the Knicks have three picks in that range. Oklahoma City has two in the first six in the second round. The Pelicans have two picks, you know, between they have picks number 40 and 43. Actually, they have three. So there's a lot of teams that have multiple picks that I think can swing for the fences. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So that's why I said it was good to see guys that weren't even mentioned maybe back in April that are now moving towards the 30. So it kind of helps me. It kind of gives me a little bit of confirmation that maybe teams are starting to see what I saw. All right. With the 21st pick to the New York Knicks, I have, I, I have them selecting Miles McBride out of West Virginia, which I think is probably significantly higher than most people have on their boards and look some of it is thinking about okay what's a tom thibodeau player like tough as nails check the box um incredible length and versatility i think mcbride can play on or off the ball i think he can be a one or two and and he does something at least he did pretty well at west virginia uh, last year which is he can shoot the basketball which is again something the knicks need the more i watch miles mcbride the more i think this guy is going to make it uh, in the NBA. And, you know, he plays in a, in a system that demands toughness at West Virginia, but also Bob Huggins doesn't recruit kids that can't play in that system. So it's not like somehow Bob Huggins transformed him that he's small, but he's got a six, eight wingspan, which I think 
significantly sort of changes the um, you know dynamic uh, with him. I I have just slowly, and it's been a slow process for me, um, fallen in love with uh, him as a, as a prospect. I, I and to to the, to the point that anywhere in the anywhere in the late teens to early twenties, I'm I'm cool with Miles McBride being a guy that I can start to bet on and has the sort of combination of being young still, uh, which is, which is intriguing. Uh, and just having a lot of those intangibles that I really, um, really think. And I said he had a six, eight wingspan. I should correct myself. It's six, eight and three quarters. So it's almost six, nine, uh, which is, which is really, really intriguing for, uh, you know, a player, his size. Uh, what do you think about miles McBride? Do I have him too high? No, I mean, I think what you said makes a lot of sense. I think Knicks fans will boo it on draft day because it seems like Sharif Cooper, Trey Mann, those are the guys they like more, I guess, sexier names and sexier offensive game. But McBride fits the Tibbs profile. Tough. Like you say, you can't be recruited by Bob Huggins if you're not tough. I mean, even back to like those Kenyon Martin, Pete Michael days at Cincinnati, then you know, you think of like a Javon Carter who, I mean, he's not playing much now, but you, when you think of Javon Carter, you just think of this tough defender. And Miles McBride fits that profile that I think Knicks fans would probably not, they won't initially like, but you put him in on the floor in the garden and he becomes a fan favorite with, with his style of play. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense there. I, I agree with you. New Yorkers will love him. I, they want that. You're right. They're going to boo him on draft night because yeah. nobody's talking about him and nobody nobody knows where he's coming from. But when they see the way this kid gets after it, uh, I absolutely think that that Knicks fans are are going to like it. And I have I have them selecting Chris Duarte at 19 um, as well. So they're going to get two really tough prospects uh, that can play make and shoot the basketball, which is uh, I, I absolutely sort of think what they need. I think it'd be an amazing draft for them if they were able to get those two guys. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And then they still have a pick at, what, 32? At 32. So that allows them to possibly get, no, yeah, 32. So I think there's a great chance that McBride could end up with the Knicks. And I have them taking Cam Thomas at 32 so that they can get that one guy that just goes out there and tries to hang 40 on you every um, every night, which I know Knicks fans are always looking for as well. So I, I feel like I, I've drafted them a, a point guard, a two guard, and a wing, uh, all, all of whom could actually play uh, for the Knicks uh, next year. Uh, and so anyway, that's 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 sort of my take on on their draft. Yeah, I have a question for you. Okay, I like it. What, what are your thoughts on Kai Jones? Oh man, I I almost talked about Kai Jones, but I decided to go positive instead of negative. Okay. Um, and because I get it that he is a a freaky freakish fluid athlete for a player his size. He's another guy that you know is a you know can can run and move a bit like a guard, which is really incredible. And you know he shot thirty eight percent. I, you know, I think from the field from three as well. And, and so I, I get it at a certain level, but to me, drafting him in the lottery, uh, is, is a scary proposition for me. If he was 18 and you were drafting him in the lottery and he did that at, at Texas, no problem. But the fact that he's 20, um, that this was his second season, um, at Texas 
And and I know that I know the developmental background story. You know that he came to basketball late at 16. Um, you know that he comes over from the Bahamas and 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 really is still new to basketball. But a 20 year old that has those occasional pops and flashes uh, where you go wow, but then you forget that he's out there on the floor many many times. And and I don't see the shot blocking or rebounding or um, you know the defensive the defensive tenacity. I think this is a case of, and, and, you know, I t- typically like guys like this, but the more I watch him, I, I feel like this is a case of you're projecting what based off his ath- athletic abilities of what you want him to be. But the reality of what he is as a basketball player right now, it, at, at the very least, he is a project um, that is going to take a year maybe two years before you're getting anything productive out of him. That, that's my take on him right now. What about you? Yeah, well, one, I think it's hard to have a hot take episode without mentioning Kai Jones because he's a really divisive prospect. Some people have him as a lottery pick. Some have him late first round. And I'm on record of saying, and I've probably said it on one of our previous podcasts, if he's an all-star in five years, it doesn't shock me. If he's playing for Olympiacos or Panathinaikos in five years, that would not shock me either. Like you said, the the flashes are there, but then there's games you can watch and you can forget that he's he's on the floor. And it's either hot or cold. And some of it could be the fit. I mean, I think Texas's three best players all kind of play a similar position. I know like Greg Brown, I don't think that he was used to his strengths, but it was because they already had Jericho Sims there. So it, it's tough. It, it, it's and that, that's the crazy thing. Why not take Greg Brown, who's a year younger and also gives you the crazy athletic profile, also doesn't know how to play the game of basketball quite yet, um, but was probably misused uh, at, at Texas as well. So let, let, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to set you up here for our sort of final question. Then you're Charlotte. You're at 11. You know, we all know Charlotte needs a big man. Uh, I think, uh, you know, to pair with LaMelo Ball. Alpernin Sengun is on the board. Kai Jones is on the board. You know, maybe we should include Isaiah Jack, uh, Jackson and Usman Garuba. We'll give you, you know, the, the four sort of bigs that are in in that range right now. And you're Charlotte. Which of those guys do you bet on? I think if Shingun is available, I would go with Shingun. They are such on the polar ends, in, yeah. in my opinion, of, of what you're looking for in a big with with Kai Jones having the ideal sort of fluidity, athleticism, and at least has proven somewhat that he's a three-point shooter. Um, and Sengun with this crazy basketball savant-ish uh, offensive ability. I mean, he he sees and understands the game at a level that's just ridiculous for an 18-year-old, but is 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 lower down by not a great, you know, NBA body length, size, you know, great athleticism. And because of the role he played in Turkey, not being able to maybe go do some of the things that we get to see Kai Jones do, like take it coast to coast or pull up for threes or, you know, what have you, he wasn't just doing that as, uh, in Turkey. So why Singun over Kai Jones? I mean, I just going with the basics. He's a lot more polished and the jump that he made, from the time I saw him at the under 18s two years ago to where he is today, you, you could not have told me that he was going to be someone that could end up being a lottery pick. I think he's lost some weight. And I still think that there's hope for bigs like him. Maybe he gets played off the floor and in, in the playoffs. That That's a real possibility. But I think just 
watching him with the ball in his hands. I think with his touch, he can develop into a, a floor spacer, whether or not that's within his rookie contract or not is, is to be seen. But I still think there is a space in the NBA for a guy that you can give the ball to on the block. And also, I feel like you should be able to have a guy that can make teams pay for switching. And I think that's what he can do. So Singoon, then then uh, Garuba, Jackson, or Kai Jones next for you? I mean, I think Garuba and P.J. Washington are too similar in a sense. Um, just on pure prospects, forget about Charlotte for a minute. Just on pure just sort of base. I'm a big Garuba guy, but for Charlotte, I would gamble on Kai Jones over Garuba. I, w- I would go for the gamble, hope that he can develop into a pick and pop guy. I think he should be able to get some easy points just rim running, playing with LaMelo. I think that's where he could, I think LaMelo could make life easy for him. That, that to me is the one intriguing thing about Kai Jones. I, I'm with you. I've been mocking Sengun to Charlotte. I think it sort of kind of makes the most sense. But there is this part of me that says when you have as talented a passer as, as LaMelo Ball is, it suddenly makes things really easy on a, on a rim running big like, like Kai Jones. And, and maybe that's the ideal setting for him to, to be able to grow and thrive Fascinating stuff. Those two guys, by the way, Singun and Jones, are the two hardest prospects for me to get a to get a comfort level with, as, as opposed to what they're going to be in the draft. I think both of them, to me, have a, just such a wide range of outcomes that it's that it's really hard to sort of know where the risk meets the reward in the draft. And I, I wanted to add that one of the things that about Kai Jones that kind of worries me, and it could have been the fit at Texas. You would think that he would be a great role guy, but when you look at his percentages, when he was used as the role man, he was very inefficient. It could be spacing, but then you look at Jericho Sims, who shot like 96% as the role man. So if Kai Jones could be a, a devastating role man, then, I mean, it's it's a perfect fit for LaMelo. If he can just develop as the role man, vertical lobster, a rim runner, he should be able to get some easy points. And then if the shooting translates, then you have a real... You have a stud there. It almost makes me wonder, and I, I've made this argument a little bit with Evan Mobley, uh, but it almost makes me wonder with Kai Jones, given what it's kind of clear from the statistics where he was strong and where he was weak at and what have you, and, and instead of trying to develop those those weaknesses and turn him into maybe something that he's just not wired to be, Right. Maybe he does move so fluidly, and, and this is the thing about both him and Evan Mobley. Like they don't move well for big guys; they move well for guards. Like they're they have like guard-like fluidity um, in their movement. It's freaky, you know. Willie Cauley Stein, by the way, had this as well, and we can never quite figure out, you know, what to do with Willie Cauley Stein. Uh, but I think there was other issues, but a lot of other issues going on with Willie Cauley Stein. Um, maybe. You know, maybe in a, an increasingly positionless NBA, does Kai Jones have the foot speed and length and everything else to say, you know, we're going to kind of play these guys as, you know, threes um, in the league and, and, and not ask them to go and do the dirty work, you know, down low, because that's, you know, maybe that's not what they're built for, or not, maybe whether it's wiring or in Evan Mobley's case, you know, maybe not the strength. And, and we're going to let them take advantage of something that they do have, which is this freakish athletic fluidity that allows them to guard multiple positions, allows them to create off the dribble a bit, allows them to pull up, shoot threes. And, and we just sort of rethink 
you, you know, trying to fit them into a, a hole that maybe that just their game isn't and, and just rethink this all again. These are huge seven foot wings. I'm especially intrigued with Mobley because he's such a good passer. When I think of that, and I, this is kind of, I mean, the, the era is different, but when you talk about a guy that's a seven footer that you kind of trying to develop into a wing, it scares me. You know what I think of? Jan Vesely. <laughs> yeah. How Washington was trying to make him someone that he's not. And I'm just, I'm just not sure that making Kai Jones a five is what he is. Um, I, I know from a size standpoint, that's what you want him to be. Uh, but the way he seems to play and the way that he likes to play and actually, frankly, most of the flashes of where you see like in a crazy Kai Jones is him getting the ball in transition and going coast to coast, um, you know, with a basketball, like those are the plays that you're like, oh, wow, Kai Jones, you know, did that. Um, you know, when you're watching him more traditionally in the post, he disappears as a player uh, to me. And so it's just really fascinating. You know, you've de definitely run the experiment sometimes that you're turning a player, trying to turn them into what they're not. But I actually, frankly, wonder sometimes with him, maybe that's more of what he is and maybe there is a way. Uh, to, 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 to just to, just to let him be that and instead of trying to turn him in uh to that now you know john calipari carl towns wanted to be that player as well and john calipari forced him to be in the post and and learn that game there and it and allowed him to be the number one pick in the draft uh and you know so you can make the argument either way yeah i think you can say the same with jt thor also yeah He's Raphael Barlow, DraftJunkies.com. Make sure you go check out his website. Make sure that uh, you're also tuning into the Locked On NBA Draft podcast um, as well. We're also going to be doing some cool stuff together uh, coming up really soon. There's actually an ultimate mock draft uh, that's going to be presented by Locked On and Odyssey. It's going to uh, feature analysis from me. It's going to uh, feature analysis from Raphael, as well as Brian Scalabrini, um, former Suns GM Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts are going to make selections and trades from your favorite basketball teams throughout the week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Odyssey is your audio home for the sports podcast music and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D. A-C-Y, and also make sure you go over to nbabigboard.com. Give us your email. We'll get it to you in your inbox every day. There's a cool community also going over right now at nba.com, uh, nbabigboard.com. Uh, you know, these are all draft junkies, and they're on commenting on these things right now. You have to be a subscriber to comment. Uh, and so you're getting a really high level of sort of basketball debate analysis over there right now. So if you're sort of sick of Twitter and all the sort of ridiculous takes that are on Twitter, try out nbabigboard.com. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.